Oh, hello, Robert. Oh, hi, Mom. You don't look so good. I'm not. Well, what's the matter, dear? I guess... I guess God's just convicting me about how selfish I am. <laughs> He'll do that when we need it. You know, the other day when I came home, I, I was telling Jen how she should be thinking of the family first, and when she looked at me with those sweet eyes of hers, I saw all this pain. And I've seen the same thing in Lindsay's eyes, too. And, and suddenly it dawned on me, I'm the one that left the family without any explanation. I caused all that pain. I've asked them to forgive me, but I don't know how they can. I, what a jerk I am. Yes. <laughs> yes what? Yes, you hurt them very deeply. And, and no... No what? No, you're not a jerk, Robert, but you sure acted like one. I sure did. You know, I'm sorry I was just so terrible to your daughter and your grandchildren. Will you forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you, Robert, but you have a lot of work to do, young man. What are you going to do about that problem you have? <laughs> Which one? The one with the pictures on the computer. Uh, I got rid of that stuff. Good. That's a good start, but watch your plan for the next time you're tempted. This is a battle, Robert. You need to have a plan before the enemy makes his move. You're right, and, and that's why I've talked to Jim. He's, he's easy to talk to, and he's a committed Christian, and he knows how to keep things to himself, and he's giving me good advice. That's great. Really good start. Everybody needs accountability, and, well, just remember, this is a battle, and you need a good man watching your back. You're right, and... Thank you, Mom. You're an awesome mother-in-law. I just care so much about my family. I was gonna take a walk around your neighborhood, I think that's what, yes. I'll uh, gotta get my exercise, you know. Bye-bye. <laughs> right. Bye, Mom. You have fun. Okay. Mama. Mama. Robert, have you seen Mom? Yeah, she just left to go on a walk. Oh, no. Hey, Jen, please go out the side door and get your grandma. Thank you. Lindsay, what's the matter? The last time she went walking, she ended up disoriented, crying. She didn't know how to get back home. Luckily, Ms. Adams over on Caldwell Street knew her and knew us and brought her back here. Well, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but I've noticed, like just the other day, she put her coffee cup down on the table, and then just a minute later, two or three times, she asked me, whose cup is that? And you notice stuff like that, but there's, there's a hundred things that I notice because I'm her daughter that nobody else would even think of. I mean, like last week, she didn't pay a bill. For you or me, that's no big deal. But mom's never even been laid on a bill in her life, much less not pay it. And you know, I caught her right before she gave somebody her checking account number over the telephone. And I don't have to remind you, technically, she's still legal to drive. I hadn't wanted to face this, Robert. I don't want to do it. I really don't want to do it. But maybe I need to think about looking into a assisted living or something for her. I mean, she's getting ready to go back to Florida. She cannot go back like this. It is just not safe. Oh, 
you know, maybe eventually, Lindsay, but I want her to stay with us as long as she can. Yes, she's your mom, but she cares about us all very deeply. And I, I know this isn't going to be easy. Matter of fact, it's going to be tough, but we're going to work through it together. And that's what I want to do. Thank you. I do want to take this opportunity to thank the drama team for their hard work each, uh, each week uh, to, to bring before us some, some, some family challenges. They haven't sought to answer every question, really to raise some, and, and perhaps some of those challenges are, are challenges that you're facing and maybe need some, some counsel, not, not just this one, but through our time together. I do want to remind you that we have a, a number of godly couples uh, prepared to, to walk with you. Uh, to talk with you, to provide some godly counsel. We even have some professional counselors. If you feel like that's necessary, just let us know. We want to help you to become the godly, more and more the godly family that He wants you to be. An elderly couple was having dinner at another couple's house one evening, and after eating, the wives left the table and went to the kitchen. The two elderly gentlemen were talking, and one said, Oh, hey, last night we went to a, a new restaurant, and it was really good. I, I really recommend it. And the other man said, well, what's the name of the restaurant? And the first man thought and thought and finally said, what's the name of that flower you give someone you love? You know, the red one that has thorns. Oh, do you mean a rose? Yeah, that's it. He turned toward the kitchen and yelled, hey, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we ate at last night? Joys of aging, I, I, I personally know nothing about that. I have never forgotten my wife's name, just, just don't ask her that. This morning, we arrive at the conclusion of our study of marriage and the family. In this six weeks, we've talked about the biblical basis for marriage, the role and responsibilities of family members, husbands, wives, parents, and children. I know that we already knew a lot of those things, but the fact is sometimes we do forget. Sometimes we forget the rose that God gave us, and all we can think about it are the thorns. So, so it's good to be reminded um, every once in a while to turn our hearts back toward our spouses, toward our parents, or toward our children, to remember what God, the Creator of the family, has to say about it and how it will work best. Now, as we were charting out this six-week series, Pastor Dean had a great idea. He suggested that we end this morning talking about parenting and children from a little different um, perspective. You see, many of us here are, well, I'll say maturing. We're, we're children outside of the home, and yet one or both of our parents are still alive. So, so what does it look like to continue to obey and honor them? And, and many of us have children who are leaving or who have left the home? What does it look like to parent adult children? In other words, is there an expiration date on honoring parents and parenting children? I thought it was a great idea, and then Dean went on vacation. 
The, the question is, does the Scripture have anything to say about, about these topics? You remember a few weeks ago that I talked about the difference between descriptive and prescriptive passages in the Bible. You see, there are those descriptive passages that record events as they happened, um, uh, but they're not intended for us to apply the descriptions to our daily lives. For example, just because a passage describes a family living in an agrarian um, society in tents without electricity, riding horses and chariots, doesn't mean that we're expected to do so today, even though you know a number of people or groups of people who have done that. Conversely, whether Scripture prescribes um, certain actions or activities, we should follow those. For example, we found the Scripture speaks prescriptively, directly to the roles and responsibilities of husbands, wives, parents, and, and children. Husbands, lead and love your wives. Wives, love and respect your husbands. Parents, bring up your children um, in the Lord. Children, obey and honor your parents. Well, we still have the question. Uh, are there prescriptive passages about honoring um, older parents and parenting adult children? It's kind of tough. All right, let's take that second one um, first. Well, what does the Bible say about parenting older or adult children? Another way to ask the question, how long are your children to honor or obey you? Well, the honoring part is a little easier, biblically speaking. We'll talk about that when we talk about honoring older parents. But parenting adult children and obeying parents as an adult, a little bit more challenging. It's not quite as clear. So I'm going to share just a few thoughts for you to, to grapple with. I'm going to try to support these with um, biblical principles, but I encourage you as families to discuss these things with your children or with your parents within your own family. First, let me remind you of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they they shall become one flesh. I want to remind you that this was said at a time when there was just one man, Adam, and one woman, Eve. It, it was presupposed, you see, it was prescriptive, and it was presupposed that, they, that these two would have children and beget the human race. The prescriptive instruction is given that when children grow up, um, the, the norm is that they too will get married and, and have children who will get married and have children. Now, I know that's not always the case. Paul talks about remaining single in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And some of you, um, by choice, and maybe not by choice, are, are single. Either way, Paul says you are in a blessed position, in a place to focus your attention and, and energies on the things of Christ. Also, some of you by choice, or or maybe not by choice, have not um, had or been able to have children. And and I know that that has been painful for some of you, and and perhaps even the last couple of weeks has been a little bit tough. I want to say very gently, without 
without sounding trite, that we serve a, a good God who always knows and does what is best. But the norm has been that Adam and Eve would have children who would grow up, have children without killing each other, uh, gr- grow up, have children, etc., etc. And we've actually done a fairly good job with that. We started with that uh, original first pair, and now we're about seven billion on the planet. And the expectation from this verse is that when children grow up, they leave, notice, leave father and mother and are united to their spouse. We already looked at that already, so I'm not going to belabor um, the point. But, but remember that for millennia, to include in much of the world today, when you left father and mother, it didn't necessarily include removing yourself geographically. You see, here in America, when we think of leaving father and mother, we typically think of something like moving from Cleveland to Dallas. And and while it might include that in our very dynamic um, society, that is not the primary focus geographically. That's not the primary focus of the verse. You see, then and and around the world today, the practice was and is to stay close to your immediate family. This is an opportunity for you to tap your children sitting next to you, by the way. In some cases, um, we find in the Scripture that they would simply add another room to the tent or, or to the house for your new family, for the new family, the husband and wife. You've, you would follow vocationally in your father's footsteps. You would seek your mom's advice and wisdom in rearing your own children. You see, this leaving and cleaving wasn't necessarily a physical leaving, although there's nothing wrong with that. It might include that. But it was, I want to suggest, leaving the authority of your father and mother and becoming a family unit with your own authority structure with a husband becoming the head of the home, as we talked about. So we can at least say this, you leave the authority of your, of your parents when you leave and cleave. That is when you get married and begin your own family. You say, well, well, well what happens if you leave but you don't cleave? <laughs> that is, you, you, you grow up, you move away, you go to college, you get a job, but you remain single. Am I still under the authority of my parents until I get married. Lots of discussion about that. Question, am I still actively to parent my adult children in their early adulthood years? Good questions. Let me suggest th- the following thoughts. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I don't normally do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some opinions. You, you may take it less. You may take it further. But I'm just going to share a couple of thoughts with you. First, don't really care how old you are. If you are still living in your parents' house, your father is still the head of his home. And if you choose to live under his roof, there is an authority to which you should submit. Now, that might change as you get older. I understand that, but I would suggest if you live in your parents' house, you need to submit to their rules. Second, you're going, really? Second, uh, even if you move away, like 
You, you go to college, and, and this morning, our, uh, 50 of our college students are away at a college retreat, which they were here, uh, but you, you, move, you go to college, and you're still receiving financial benefit from your parents. I want to suggest that financial benefit brings accountability and retains authority. That is, if you receive some, some kind of support, you should choose to remain under their authority. I know you're sitting there thinking, well, that's because you're old. You're right, but I would suggest that with age and a lifetime of, of following Christ, there may be some godly wisdom there. My opinion. Now, I, I am really talking about parenting adult children. So, parents, let me talk to you. As you as your children mature, grow up, I suggest that your role toward them change. You, you should go from being an authority figure as father and mother to a brother-sister role as mentor and friend. You see, you still look for ways to speak wisdom and truth into their lives, but not necessarily as an authority, but as an older loving brother and sister seeking to hold a younger brother and sister accountable to biblical truth. Your role changes a bit. Let me say it this way. Your instruction should go from, do what I say because I'm in charge, to, here's what I suggest based on the teaching of Scripture and based on the wisdom of years of living life and based on my deep love for you and for your best. But even having said that, I think I said this last week, let me say it again. In seeking to honor and obey my parents, and I'm talking about me, while it's been a very long time since they told me to do something, they ordered me, they commanded me, they gave me a directive, it's been a long time since my parents have told me to do something. I want you to know today if they told me to do something, I would do it. And when they give godly counsel, and they have, I typically do it. You see, we live in a society that values youth and marginalizes, or worse, dismisses older people. And we're wrong. Whether it is in athletics, entertainment, politics, education, or even in the church, being young is prized and being elderly is not. In fact, the younger, the better. The more hip, the more with it. This flies in the face of Scripture, which The Scripture values the wisdom and experience of a walk with Christ that comes with age. So now listen to me. Older people, I'll let you again determine if you're in that category. I I want to say to you, please don't listen to our culture. Please don't check out. And to younger people, I want to also say, don't listen to our culture. Don't listen to our youth crazed culture. We are wrong. Seek out and value what older people have to say. 
You see, that brings me to the, to the other question of the morning. Obviously, uh, again, much of what I've shared is opinion. I could share more opinions, but in the end, it just becomes what I um, think. So let's move on. What about caring for, or, uh, for older or aging parents? The Scripture actually has more to say about that. Consider, for example, um, Proverbs chapter 23. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. That's interesting. The implication is, is as we grow up, as we get older, we continue to listen to our parents and not despise them. Last week, we looked at the fifth commandment that that Paul quoted in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, um, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. I've already broached in the first point the subject of obedience. We won't go to that, but what about honoring them? Does honoring parents have an expiration date? Last week, I suggested that we could honor our parents in three ways. First, by obeying them. Obviously, that's speaking to younger people while they're still under the authority of their parents. I want to suggest we need to be very careful about disobeying. I also suggested we could honor them by following their faith making their God our God, loving and serving Jesus the way they do, I could have quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writing to younger Timothy, you, Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, namely your mother and your grandmother, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, continue in the faith of your parents. You honor them by obeying them. You honor them by following in their faith. And last week, I also said you honor them by taking care of their needs. We have a biblical responsibility, regardless of what our culture communicates, we have a biblical responsibility to care for our aging parents. Consider a couple of passages. First is in Mark chapter 7, verses 9 and following. Look at it with me. He, that is Jesus, was also saying to them, that is the Pharisees, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, Exodus 20, and in Exodus 21, he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, uh, that is to say, given to God. You, again Pharisees, no longer permit this one who has said korban to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, notice, invalidating the Word of God by your tradition or by cultural practice, which you have handed down and you do many things such as that. This is what was happening. Everyone understood that included in honoring father and mother is respect, love, reverence, a sense of dignity, and taking care of them. Financial obligation, meeting their needs, especially as they grow older, Yes, I understand that we have switched that around in our society. We expect our parents to get rich and then to leave that inheritance to me. But in 
this culture, and I want to suggest prescriptively speaking, in biblical principle, we are to make sure that our parents' physical needs are met. Pharisees had figured this out. If you didn't want to meet your parents' needs, if you wanted to be greedy and selfish, live for yourself, when they had a need, all you had to do is say korban over your stuff. The word korban literally meant a gift, came to mean a gift devoted to God. This is the way that it worked. You need money, mom? You need money, dad? You need food? You need clothing? You need shelter? Sorry, love to help. But I've said korban over all my stuff. And it's a vow. I've committed it all to God. Doesn't that sound spiritual? I'd love, gosh, I'd really love to help you out. But, it, you know, it's a vow. I can't break it, which means I can't help you. Verse 12, in fact, Jesus points out that by taking this vow, the Pharisees said, you are forbidden to help mom and dad. Oh, and by the way, saying that it was a gift devoted to God (laughs) didn't mean that you actually had to give it to God. See, you could actually use it for yourself. That's what they did. After all, I'm a servant of God, and I need to take care of my needs as I serve God. So it's a gift devoted to God as, as I serve God. Besides, the tradition also allowed for the person to lift the korban anytime they wanted. You see, this was a ridiculous, sinful way to get around the commandment to honor parents and meet their needs. But it was within the tradition of the elders, so it was not only okay, but you could feel good doing it. Notice what Jesus says. You have invalidated, that is, you have negated the Word of God with your tradition. The principle of the Word of God is for children to take care of aging parents. Later, Paul spells this out rather clearly in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. Now, the context of 1 Timothy 5, uh, the subject is widows. Uh, even more so than, uh, even more so than now, women outlived men. There were lots of widows running around. You may remember this was the subject of the first church fight, taking care of widows. I find it intriguing that they appointed deacons to take care of the first church fight. That's worked well through the centuries, appointing deacons to stop fighting in the church. What should you do if you are a widow? What is a family's responsibility toward a widow? What is the church's responsibility toward widows? These are questions that Paul is addressing. By the way, as for that last one, what is the church's responsibility toward widows? We find that if the widow does not have a family to take care of her, then the church should do it. In fact, he gives some very specific things that should be done. It includes taking, uh, making a, a list of widows, who should be on it, who shouldn't. Young widows, they should get remarried, things like that. So, this is in the context of taking care of o- older family members, particularly older moms. And in the midst of those instructions, we read in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 5, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In the context, the verse is saying Christian men 
ought to take care of widows within their own families, namely widowed moms and grandmothers. And by the way, in making this statement, he generalizes it to speak of a man's responsibility to provide for the physical needs of his family. I didn't talk about that when I talked about a husband's responsibilities. Let me do so now. Um, to be slothful and lazy, gentlemen, to be, to, to be willing, willfully and wantonly lazy and fail to meet the needs of your family is inconsistent with Christian character. Paul says you demonstrate the charade of your faith if you fail to meet your family's needs. He is suggesting that even unbelievers know and apply this principle. To fail to do so makes you worse than an unbeliever. And so the husband is commissioned not only descriptively but prescriptively with the responsibility as the head of the home to provide for the physical needs of his family. Now, I know Remember, we talked about this. I know that we live in a world where husbands and wives, moms and dads, work outside the home. And I said, I didn't have a problem with that. It's fine if you choose to do that. But listen, it doesn't negate your responsibility, men. It's the husband's responsibility, however you work that out, to make sure that the family's needs are met. The point here, though, this morning, is that it is not the government's job to take care of the elderly. It is not even necessarily the elderly's job to take care of themselves. Even though we live in a society when people save all of their lives so they can pay someone else to take care of them when they get old. I I suppose if we've got the financial wherewithal to be able to do that, 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 that's fine. In fact, I want to suggest that there may even be times when we pay others, when we place parents in assisted living homes or medical retirement homes, because it is best for them and for us. Notice, for them came first. Just a few weeks ago, uh, I, I, I drove, just a few weeks ago, I drove down to Greenville, South Carolina, where my parents are still living, and, my, and I took three of my sons Uh, to help me, and my siblings and I moved my parents into an assisted living home. It was very, very difficult. They're they're not still there. They bolted. It's it's true. But as as we were moving them in, as we were moving them in, I said to Andy, my youngest son, I said to him, Andy, I hope you're taking notes. Because I'm thinking in about 25 years, you're going to be doing this for me. And he looked at me and without batting an eye said, I'm thinking 15. (laughs) And he's 14. I'm thinking he's not going to live to be 15. (laughs) My, My point is the responsibility of caring for aging parents lies biblically with children. I thought it might be good this morning to hear from someone, and I know many of you are in this place, and I want to honor you for this, but I thought it might be good to hear from someone who has been in the midst of this, living this. So I've asked Jane Lonas, I'm going to ask her to go ahead and, and come on up. I've asked Jane to share her story about taking care of her parents over these past few years. I got to hear it in first service. I think it's going uh, to bless you. 
sure I got a close one. <laughs> okay. Good morning. Both my grandmothers lived well into their 90s and were cared for either in their house across the street from my childhood home or in my parents' home in Georgia. And I expected my daddy to live vibrantly more, many more years like his mother. But many of you know, however, that he passed away a month ago in his room at our home with Bobby, Mama, me, and his furry friend Dudley by his side. The end, the end had been long in coming, but the very end was relatively quick with minimal discomfort. We had been contemplating a different care arrangement because he had become so frail. On that Sunday morning, God heard and answered our desperate prayers of these, those last days, and we were at peace now because he was at peace. Many of you have walked this bittersweet road already. Some are in the midst of it and others see looming ahead. Picturing a preborn baby pops first into our minds when we talk about the sanctity of life. But the wrinkled, worn, weary, and wise amongst us also deserve our time and attention, and they become needy when they do become needy again, like children. Whether we make loving arrangements for their care or do it ourselves, they need family around at this time. In 2005, Daddy began taking care of Mama when she gave in to her mobility issues. He wasn't thrilled about doing all the cooking and cleaning, but he insisted that he could. After his twin sister died in 2007, we began to see changes in him. He was losing weight, becoming anxious and stressed, and my brother and sister-in-law's close watch and help was no longer enough. Trips home became more frequent, uh, a frequent priority, and yet he resisted much of the help. It was then that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. It is a hard and humbling time when self-sufficiency begins to wane. Finally, on one visit in the late spring of 2009, Daddy walked outside where I was trimming the boxwoods, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I just don't think I can do all this anymore. Well, we had already been in the process of finishing our basement to create a living space that they could sort of call their own, and they finally agreed to come that August. After that, Daddy never drove again, nor did he want to. He seemed glad to spend hours reading on the porch, soaking in the view, or listening to Melissa play some of his favorite hymns and songs on the piano. He still managed a few easier crosswords with Bobby, and he loved when Caroline made him cookies. And as long as I cooked greens and cornbread rather often, he was pretty happy. Uh, of course, another benefit of living in North Carolina was getting to see our son and daughter-in-law, Rachel, and his new great-granddaughter, Canaan. But we were all saddened to see him weakening and changing especially in his mind since the first stroke event earlier this year. Some of you had been helping us along with a listening ear, care, notes, food, and most importantly, prayer support. But we realized we needed more regular help, and God provided. Yet after the last stroke in late June, his care increased to a two-assist level. 
If Bobby had not been willing to do all that he did, especially in the last two months, Daddy could not have stayed with us anymore. Um, the decision to begin exploring other options because of the physical and emotional strain the confinement was creating in our family was harder than the actual labor for me because Daddy was so confused and helpless by this point. But as I shared, the Lord was merciful and he called him home. The many wonderful tributes shared at his funeral washed over us with just healing and left us remembering Daddy as the strong, godly man that impacted many lives with his faithfulness, generosity, and commitment. I would like to invite you to read um, our son Justin's blog at amginternational.org. Um, it's, it's his eulogy that he gave for Papa at the funeral, and it says a lot about his, um, his impact on Justin as a grandfather. Mama is, um, is still with us and doing pretty well, um, and we miss Daddy, but at, at Mr. Bob Sandbo's funeral, a loved one shared a favorite quote, at the end of your life, you will realize that many of the little things in life were really the big things. And I think my daddy embraced this, and he lived it well. We felt called to provide this care, and we have learned from much from it. We realized that we are pretty selfish, and we needed stretching. We also learn and want to cooperate with our own children when the time comes for us to be taken care of and not put too much of the burden on their shoulders. But ultimately, trusting the Lord is the key because life is only predictable in its unpredictability. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Jane, for sharing that with us. I, I want you to notice the balance that she struck. And uh, they, they wanted to be able to provide for her parents, but they were... They're also at a point where they're recognizing there may be greater, greater needs. And so th th this isn't a, an either or. It may be a both and. But the, the point is they sought to, to care for aging parents. And I believe that's a biblical responsibility. You know, as we bring this series to a close uh, this morning, let me ask you a question. How, how do we do all this stuff that we've talked about for six weeks? All this marriage and family talk, you might say, hasn't done me a lot of good. You may say, I've tried all this before. We've been to marriage counseling. We've been to marriage conferences. We spent a whole stinking weekend convinced that we were going to come out okay. We tried to apply some of the principles. It worked for a while. It's only blown up in our face. How do we do this stuff? Ephesians chapter 5. You see, we've talked about the purpose of marriage. We've talked about some principles for marriage within the, the various roles that we have. But we need to talk about the power for the family, the power for marriage and the family. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 that Steve read a little bit earlier. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, I, okay, I know that verse. What does that have to do with my marriage? Absolutely everything. 
First, we need to talk about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. The idea is to be controlled by, to be dominated by, to be permeated with the Spirit of God. The word was used of of filling a sail on a boat, to, to carry it along. That's what we need. The word is in the present tense, speaks of continually being filled. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time event. It's a moment-by-moment surrender to the active control of the Spirit of God in your life. I want to suggest the only hope that you have that your family will be a success is the filling of the Spirit of God. When you finally come to the end of yourself and say, I can't do this anymore. I've been trying with my own efforts, not working. Spirit, I need you to fall fresh on me. I need you to fill me. If you don't, this will never work. You see, having commanded us to be filled with the Spirit, Paul goes on to give a description of what Spirit-filled people look like. In verses 19 to 21, he gives five ways that demonstrate. I'm not going to talk about these. I'm just going to point them out. They're underlined there. Uh, Verse 19, a Spirit-filled person will be speaking, singing, and and making melody. In other words, you show me someone who's Spirit-filled, I'll show you someone who's got a song in their heart. Not only that, the next thing, also vertical, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus. You show me a Spirit-filled person, and I'll show you someone who is thankful. You see, it could be that part of the problem within your family is that there's an awful lot of griping and complaining and not a lot of thankfulness. Spirit-filled people are thankful. Then we get to verse 21. And a lot of people want to take verse 21 and apply it to what follows, and indeed we should, but we can't lop it off from what comes before. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, you will demonstrate it by submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he goes on to describe that. Wives, if you're filled with the Spirit, you will submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If you try to muster that up in your own flesh, in your own flesh you'll fail because your flesh wants to rule over your husband. Husbands, you will submit to your wife by loving her as Christ loved the church if you are filled with the Spirit. You try to muster that up on your own in your own flesh, you'll rule over her, all right, with an iron fist, dictatorial domination, physical strength. But you won't be the loving leader that Christ demonstrated in His love and leadership of the church. Parents, as you are filled with the Spirit, moment by moment, day by day, you will bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, As you are filled with the Spirit, you will obey your parents, and you will honor them until the day they die. You cannot do any of the things that we've talked about in your own flesh. So I am trusting that the Holy Spirit of God will do His work in us, that His power will make us the husbands, the wives, the fathers, the mothers, the sons and the daughters that He wants us to be, to make your marriages and your families all that they can be because you surrender to the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, right now, let's pray. 
Father, uh, much of what we've talked about over the last six weeks actually flies in the face of culture. It's different than what we see on TV. It's different than the sitcoms. It's different than what we hear in, in, in classrooms. But it is the way you have designed the marriage. And I believe with all of my heart the way that we will find the most fulfillment, the most joy, and bring you the most glory. So do these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.